Hello, my oral surgery friends. This is your host, Dr. Grant Stuckey. In this podcast, you will hear surgeons discussing ways to improve the practice of oral and maxillofacial surgery. The goal of this podcast is to evaluate every aspect that a surgeon can improve in order to create a better experience for patients, staff, and the surgeon. Most of the information shared in this podcast will be based on personal experience and opinions. The methods discussed are meant to provoke thought and should be supplemented with research into the approved studies prior to making changes to one's way of practice. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. Today I'm with Dr. Scott Weisskopf. He's an oral and maxillofacial surgeon practicing in Memphis. Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, pleasure to be with you again. So our topic for today is the full mouth extraction. This is something that usually is more common for oral surgeons to do it, very uncommon probably for others. And the question is, you know, what things have you learned over the years, Scott, that you do for the full mouth extraction to help your patients to make it an easier surgery? And I guess maybe let's start at the beginning, you know, what kind of conversations you have with them beforehand? Yeah. So I think one of the really important things to consider is that there's probably a good degree of an emotional component in with this, with the patient, they're losing all their teeth. That's a major change for the patient. So, you know, a lot of them are not going to be busting down your doors, very eager to have this done. So, you know, one of the the things I really do is really all about framing. So I don't really just bust in the consult room and say, hey, you're losing all your teeth. I can do that for you. It's more about reframing it like, you know, hey, I'm Dr. Weisskopf. Dr. So-and-so sent you over here to have me help rebuild your smile. So it's kind of focusing on what the end goal is. You know, it's not we're taking out all the teeth. It's, you know, this is something that we're doing to get you a good smile again. And so, you know, I think it's just that initial framing, it kind of resets the patient's preconceived notions about it and helps them a little bit with the psychology of it. And also, as far as the preparation goes, because it is a major change, I tell them that on the front end. I say, you know, you're going to get a denture. It's not your normal teeth. It's not natural teeth. It's going to be a change. There's an adjustment period and change is always different, but it's something that millions of people do. They have good fitting dentures. They have a good quality of life. And if for whatever reason, it ends up not working well for you, if for some reason your dentist cannot get your denture adjusted well, there's always options. There's implants. If you don't have good retention, we can put implants in there. So I kind of put that in there on the front end, let them know that if the surgery is done and they get their dentures and it's just, oh my gosh, how am I going to live like this? I don't want them to think that's it. They've got options. For sure. I love that comment about framing because the patient, I think most of them, especially the emotional ones who are crying and are really freaked out and upset. I mean, what they're focusing on is I'm losing my teeth and I'm going to look like an old person with my lips collapsed in. And how did I get here? You know, their focus is on the loss, right? It's Yeah, it's horrible. And you're trying to focus them more on the building, the creation, the improvement that's going to happen. And so I think that it's important to shift that mindset. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's not like that's all we're doing. We're not just taking the teeth out and sending you on your merry way. You know, you're going to get a good looking denture. And 99.9% of the time when they get their denture, it's going to look much better than the current state of their dentition right now. If they smile right now, you're probably looking at black and caries all over the place. And, you know, you're going to get wider teeth than you probably ever had in your life. Totally. Yeah. I like 
pointing out those two things to them, the, hey, you're going to look so much better. You're going to feel more confident in your smile. And this is going to really clean up your mouth, right? This is going to help your gums, your oral health, your body just to feel better because a lot of these people are, they're also sick from some of the stuff going on in their mouth. It's affecting their overall health. Yeah, no, definitely. That's a good point. And so you kind of touched on talking to them about the denture and saying, hey, this is going to take several appointments. I think there's a lot of people, even if you say that and you kind of try to prepare them, they're not going to get it, right? And they're going to be very frustrated that, why isn't this fitting right? And it feels, (laughs) you know, like socks on a rooster, so to speak. (laughs) It's moving around. It's gagging me, you know, popping up. And it's like a totally foreign thing happening. And I try to do as best I can to kind of prepare them and say, hey, we're talking about several appointments. You know, it's probably more like weeks to months to get used to it, not days. You know, it's going to be loose and that's normal. And you got to kind of work with us and our dentist to get it adjusted. I do talk to them a little bit about why that is. You know, I'd say the vast majority of my patients are going the immediate denture route. So we're delivering the denture the same day. And, you know, I talk to them about the different ways of doing it, conventional versus immediate. And I tell them that when the lab is making this denture, it's a guess. They're guessing where the gum tissue is going to be. They're guessing where the bone is going to be and where the support is going to be. And so sometimes they do a great job. Sometimes they don't do a great job. And that's why it takes several appointments and you've got to readjust things over and over again. Ultimately, once things settle down, you're more likely to have a really good fitting denture. Yeah, I like that a lot. Really, really good. I think maybe one more comment about the preparation before the surgery there's people who feel embarrassed. They feel just sad. And, and I try to focus and say, hey, you know, you're taking the first step to kind of making a fresh start for yourself. And that's the most important thing, especially a younger person. They feel super embarrassed that they're here and, and that you have to go in their mouth and try to take care of, you know, years of neglect. But I try to focus on more like, hey, you're doing a good job by getting this done. And we're all as a team to help you. And no one's judging you or anything like that because there's A lot of people who can't take that step because of those feelings they have, or maybe they delay that stuff for 20, 30 years. And so it's important to be positive and kind of instill that in the patient that you're not judging them, that you're there for them and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, definitely. Excellent. So the patient's decided, you know, you got them hooked up to the monitor, you're ready to go. What do you do special for the surgical part of a full mouth extraction? It's just mainly just the basic surgical protocol. I typically do my work in quadrants. I'll start on the upper right. I'll go down to the bottom right, go to the upper left, bottom left. I will try to be efficient about my time. You know, I'll I'll start because I'm taking multiple teeth out. I'll use my periosteal elevator on all the teeth in the quadrant. I'll elevate all the teeth in the quadrant, and then I'll start with the forceps and I'll just kind of go in succession just so I'm not spending as much time going back and forth between instruments and taking out one tooth at a time and using everything on one tooth and going to the next tooth. That does save a little bit of time. Now, I don't go crazy about it. You know, there's some people that go full on NASCAR pit stop mode when it comes to these surgeries and they flap and do alveoloplasty and then just leave the uh, whole upper arch open and bloody while they go down to the bottom because they don't want to have to pick up the suture twice. That's not how I do it. I think there's a limit to the efficiency. You know, that extra two seconds that it might save you to pick up the suture to suture each quadrant, 
is really, it's not going to save you much time. And the benefit of having things closed up and better hemostasis and less swelling for the patient afterwards, I think that's far more important. So, you know, there's definitely an efficiency thing, but I don't go overboard with it like some people do. Got it. Okay. And what do you do to preserve bone to make sure, you know, that you do adequate alveoplasty and they're not having a bunch of sharp spots when they're putting the denture on? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a really important thing because, you know, what I really hate is having a full mouth extraction case and then seeing the patient 12 times afterwards because they keep having little bony splinters and worse even still is having to go in and flap the whole thing again and do alveoloplasty after the fact. Although, you know, sometimes those things happen and it's unavoidable, but if we've got decent, moderate to severe undercuts, I'll always remove that, especially in the maxillary anterior. Sometimes you'll get some of the buckle plate that comes off with those teeth just because it's so thin. I'll reflect tissue. I'll smooth it down with a bone file. If it's sharp, especially right at that apical portion where you've got the bone loss, I'll remove a little bit of bone. I, I like to lay the tissue back on top and run my finger over it and kind of feel if there's any sharp spots because that's kind of the pressure that the patient's going to have with the denture. And you know, if it feels sharp, on my finger, then it's going to feel sharp on their tissue too. So, you know, it's definitely really important to get it nice and smooth. For sure. Yeah, I do a similar thing. It's a fine line, you know, between removing teeth, removing bone and preserving bone, that type of a thing. You, You probably lots with experience. I think the older patient, root canal teeth, those are people who my kind of antennas are up of saying, hey, this could be one of those where if you just grab the forceps and start cranking on tooth number three, you know, probably the whole buckle plate or number 11 or the canine is just going to bust mm. that off. And so I kind of get an anatomic forceps. I'm trying to be careful. Sometimes I can sense, you know, that this tooth is going to totally bust off the plate. So instead of just cranking it, going to town, I get, you know, I section it and take my time and try to preserve yeah. the bone because it's just so brutal and, and tough for a patient when so much of the arch kind of gets removed with the teeth and now they're working with a denture that's just doesn't have anything to grab onto and it's very tough. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I'll do with all of my denture patients is, you know, whether I do a little bit of alveoloplasty a lot, I actually reline all the dentures with a soft reline material when I deliver them. And and I find that it helps with retention so much, uh, especially on those cases where, you know, the whole buckle plate comes off and you've got a huge defect that's just not accounted for on the model. Because if you don't do that, you know, you get the assistants walking the patient out to the car, they see their significant other, they get a big smile, that whole denture pops out of their mouth and lands on the floor. Your assistant's trying to pick it up. They accidentally step on it, breaks into a million pieces. It's just, you know, it's it's not worth it. Just reline it, keep it in there. That's the way to do it. That's a good idea. Yeah. Any tips on how you reline? How do you make it quick? Yeah. So, you know, while I'm finishing up suturing, and this is the thing too, because a lot of times when people do a full mouth extraction, they'll do a running suture. Even though it takes a little bit more time, I'll do interrupted sutures at each papilla because I want there to be as little suture over a extraction site as possible because when I reline that denture, that reline material is going to go into that and I'm going to pull all my sutures out when I take it out. So what mm-hmm. I do is as I'm suturing up, my assistant is priming the intaglio surface of the denture. She's loading the gun for me. 
I'll squirt it in the denture, seat it, seat top and bottom, have them bite down, make sure my midlines are on, and I'll let it set. And then I'll pop it out when it's not completely set yet. I'll take a 15 blade and just cut away any of those little divots that you're going to have or those depressions that it goes into uh, in the extraction sites. And then I seem to get a really good fitting, good retentive denture all the time. And a lot of my referrals really like it too, because it saves them from having to do it. That's awesome. Yeah, Yeah, that's got to be a good referral building practice to send the patient out with a, a denture that's not rocking and just falling all over the place. That's yeah, that's really helpful. The other thing is too, it's a soft reline. If the dentist, for whatever reason, doesn't like it, or I do a bad job and the midline's six centimeters off when I seat it down there, you just rip it out. You know, the dentist can rip it out and start over again. So you're not really doing anything that's irreversible. It's just a little bit of soft reline that helps considerably. Nice. And are you using Chromic suture or what type of suture? Yeah, I'll use Chromic. I don't feel like I need anything any longer lasting than that for simple dental alveolar stuff. It seems to work pretty well. Got it. Okay. That's a great tip. Real quick, going back to alveoplasty, once the teeth are out, I'll just explain what I do and you can comment and kind of say what you do, but I kind of got the teeth out. I'm flapping buccal lingual or palatal buccal kind of carefully with the rongeurs or oftentimes just a round burr and I'm taking my time to go over those papilla. And then I put the soft tissue back over the top of the ridge. I'm taking my finger with my glove and rubbing it. Okay, that part's sharp. Open the flap again, round burr or bone file. I've noticed too that like my bone files go pretty dull pretty quick after a couple months and so like a dull bone file is useless for me (laughs) it's like you're like rubbing a pencil on it or something you know i try to sharpen them or really i'm buying multiple bone files a year but that with round burr and i'm trying to be meticulous with trying to simulate okay once the tissue's over the top how is it feeling and i don't want especially those canine eminences you know super sharp things that are going to cause this person pain. And like you're saying, oftentimes you do your best. And even with all that, they still are coming back with some bone splinters or an area that's sharp. And I kind of prepare them before the procedure to say, hey, we're going to do our best to shave it down and smooth it. But it's very common, you know, for us to have to do this maybe two or three times later. And if you don't do it, then great. But if you do, then they kind of get the picture if you already talked to them about it. I do the same kind of treatment. And if we do end up having to do additional alveoloplasty, I'll never charge the patient for it. Uh, I know some people might, but I just kind of build that into the initial procedure. Now with the bone files, the ones that I use, I've seen two where it's just kind of straight lines on it. You've got the ridges and then there's others that are kind of two sets of diagonal lines kind of crosshatch. And that's what I like to use a lot. I feel like they stay sharper longer. It works better for me. Excellent. Another question is, do you do any type of bone grafting, platelets, anything like that and kind of build that into the plan ahead of time or how do you do all that? I don't unless they are an implant case that I'm going to come back in and place implants for an overdenture. Yeah. But uh, I don't. We are just now talking about getting a centrifuge and doing some PRF stuff uh, we haven't in the past. I think it's I think it's really uh, I've heard a lot of great things. I know a lot of guys that are using it and they're charging an additional fee for that, especially on just third molar cases, just an extra fee, put it in there 
sell it as, hey, this is going to increase healing, decrease the risk of dry sockets, a lot of uses for bone grafting. So I, I think that's going to be our next purchase at the office. We probably should have done that years ago, but there's definitely a lot of utility to it. Do you use that at all? Yeah, I've been doing the platelet therapy for two years or so. And a similar thing, I think generally we don't, it's not a routine thing where everyone gets bone graft and membrane and platelets. It's more of the guy who's saying, yeah, I for sure want implants down the road or the patient where we are placing the implants immediately for overdentures down the road. We're pretty much grafting and putting the platelets on the sites where we think implants would go. But I'm getting to the point where I just routinely, even if they haven't paid for it, we'll just pull the blood and pull a few vials beforehand and just say, hey, probably we're going to need some platelet clots and it'll be helpful to pack them into whatever number six and 11 if the buccal plate kind of busts off or wherever there's a bleed or you have a sinus exposure. It's just nice to have those available. Yeah. So good stuff there. And then what instructions do you give to the patient for post-op as far as wearing the denture and all the instructions you give them? So typically my patients will have an appointment scheduled with their general dentist the following day. And I'll tell them to wear their denture until that appointment mainly for their comfort, you know, just kind of acts as a band-aid, keeps things from hitting the site, helps a little bit with swelling. And then the dentist will remove the denture, make any adjustments needed and kind of go from there. But uh, oftentimes with the reline that I've already done, that there's not a whole lot the dentist needs to do, which they love. Yeah. Awesome. Do you see these people and do any type of post-op routinely or is it just as needed or how does that go? Unless there are any complications during the surgery, I'll typically do it just like I do all my other dental ovular cases, excluding implants. Is I'll set them up for a two-week follow-up appointment. I'll tell them, this is an appointment that's there for you if you need it. Don't feel like you have to come. Obviously, I'm happy to see you if you want me to take a look, even if nothing's wrong. And if there's any issues before this appointment, we can always work you in sooner. So some of them come back, some of them don't. Okay. Yeah, same thing for us. I've kind of been setting people up more to say, hey, we'd we'd really like to see you at that three or four month mark. And that's more for kind of the after, you know, all the dust settles to sit down with them and say, how's it going? You know, and if they say, oh, I wore my denture for a week and I chucked it on the floor because it was (laughs) so painful, then that's a good springboard to, well, let's talk about implants or something else we can do. Yeah. Because such a high percentage of them, I feel like have trouble and Maybe that would be a good time to talk about future implants. I don't know. That's good marketing. Any other tips on the full mouth extraction? Yeah, I think we kind of covered it all. Cool. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk about that. Certainly, there's a lot of different techniques and things out there that other people are doing, but hopefully this helps. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that can be learned. Thank you so much, Scott. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. If you are an oral and maxillofacial surgeon and would like to be on this podcast, please email me at grantstukey at gmail.com or text me at 720-441-6059. Also, if you have any topics that you would like to hear discussed or feedback on a certain episode that has already aired, please call or email or text me. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode.